Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is um, the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast, uh, episode number six. We're going to start on page 13 with a vision of hope. But first, we'll give our introductions. Brian, can you jump on in, introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Brian B. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is 11-18-2019, and I attend meetings in southwestern Pennsylvania. My home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Thanks, Brian. What's up, Jane? Hey, Jane A. here. Clean date 12-22-79, and I do attend meetings in Salem, Oregon. All right, thanks, Jane. What's up, Paul? I'm Paul M. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 6, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Jen? My name is Jennifer. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jen. What's up, Barb? My name is Barb Barb. I'm an addict. My clean date is October 4th, 1995, and my home group is the Open Minds Group in New Orleans. Thanks, Barb. What's up, Lee? I'm Lee. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is 8-27-87, and my home group is the Open Mind Group of NA Monday night, 7-30. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Eva? Hi, everybody. Eva P. Clean date is 6-10-2000. And I attend uh, meetings in the Salem, Oregon area and online. Thanks, Eva. And our guest for this episode, Finn. What's up, Finn? Hello, I'm an addict and my name's Finn. My clean date is March 9th, 2020. And I attend meetings in the greater San Jose area. My home group is the greater San Jose just for today. All right. Thanks, Finn. And welcome. And I'm an addict. Name's Douglas. I got clean March 12th, 2000, the Southwestern PA. And, uh, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and get started. This is episode number six, Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. We're going to start on page 13 with a vision of hope. And Lee P is going to facilitate. Take it away, Lee. Thanks, Douglas. Uh, Jane, would you like to start us off on page 13, please? Sure. Learning about acceptance, love, and compassion helps us to accept ourselves without conditions. As our faith deepens, our understanding of what it means to act in good faith changes as well. We no longer use our disease or where we are in our recovery as an alibi for bad behavior. Our recovery is constantly enriched by what we learn. We make peace with ourselves, with all we've gained and lost and learned and become. We find gratitude for the events that bring us to this moment. The process is a power greater than ourselves. The reward for staying with it is feeling at peace with who we are. 
self-acceptance changes over time. We learn to live with our frailties and imperfections. We find that the defects we accept and forgive are more likely to be removed than those we fight against and try to control. We can make mistakes, the obstacles in our path for a part of ourselves. Learning to direct our attention toward our assets and goals and away from our defects and obsessions is a new freedom. We start to believe that our positive attributes are not part of a facade or a figment of our imagination. Our feelings don't frighten us like they used to, and they seem to pass more quickly. We know that we may not change our feelings right away, but we can change our behavior. Mood follows action. When we do the right thing, we can start to feel better. Yeah. I love that part that uh, understanding what it means to act in good faith changes and that I'm finding peace with myself. I love that. And that fear doesn't paralyze me or keep me from trying new things or different things or different ways and that I can act whether I feel like it or not. <laughs> you know, I, I can I can do that. And I certainly have felt uh, know that when I uh, stop and I ask God to help me practice the principle that's opposite of the, the defect that I'm dealing with, um, things go a lot quicker, a lot smoother, and a lot easier than when I'm fighting it or trying to fix it myself. And with that, I'll pass. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I like the part at the beginning about faith as our faith deepens our understanding of what it means to act in good faith changes as well and you know here's the thing i when i hear faith i think some kind of religious kind of stuff it's um it's not the faith in a higher power that i have the trouble with it's faith in myself that i have the trouble with um that's the thing that's the thing that is always in question um i i walked in with a, a fairly strong uh religious sentiment it didn't stop me from shooting dope uh, but you know, it was not sufficient for it says, it says in our readings, it was not sufficient, um, has value, has value in my life, but it's not sufficient for me. The faith in myself through the process of the 12 steps is where I really have turned the corner. I, you know, uh, Douglas likes to say it, it's not fragile. Our re recovery is not fragile. And I agree with that. If I am in the process if I am in the process, I just finished working a seventh step with a sponsee who'd driven over from Pensacola and he hadn't done step work in a, in a, in a while, but he's still in the process. He said, you know, it, things got stupid and I need to pick this back up. And I was like, that's it, that's it. There's always a point to, to come back. You know what I mean? To recommit. And that's important to me. The last part is mood follows action. Like th that was an early thing that we that I learned in Narcotics Anonymous. I can act my way into right thinking. I can't think my way into right action. And that was that was a game changer because I, you know, I kept waiting for not to not want to shoot dope. Like I want to have the thought not to get high. And they said, no, no, don't wait for the thought. Just don't do it. And then the thoughts will catch up at some point. And that, that was a big one. So thanks. Thanks, Paul. Go ahead, Finn. Yeah, uh, thank you. And, and Paul, you said exactly what I was thinking too. Um, that, that last part where it says the mood follows action. 
Like um, I know somebody in, in the, our area who talks about acting her way into better thinking. And um, I totally get that, you know, and, and I did that with my first step and with my seventh step. With my first step, you know, before I got to that point, I had to put down the drugs. And yeah, I was still having the, the obsession to use drugs throughout those first 30 days before I um, actually started step work. And if I continued not to pick up, soon that obsession went away. And then I'm looking at these defects and shortcomings. How am I acting out? And uh, based off of my my um, based off of my behaviors and stuff. And when I just let go of the acting out, eventually the same thing. The obsession goes away. I still have that want to act out, but it's less and less because if I take the action away, the mood changes. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thanks, Finn. Hey, Brian, would you pick us up at the person we see in the mirror and then share about those two paragraphs, please? Sure, Lee, thanks. Uh, the person we see in the mirror may bear little resemblance to the version of ourselves that other, that other people know. When we are locked in self-obsession, we, we may have no idea of the damage we are doing to the people around us or even to ourselves. Similarly, when we reach out, we may not see the positive effects we have on our own spirits or the world around us. We may still see ourselves as we were when we got here, not recognizing that the principles we have been practicing have become part of who we are. We trust our sponsors and friends to show us the changes we cannot see in ourselves. Caring for our spiritual condition is like cleaning the house. If we want the benefit, the work must be ongoing. The better we do at keeping up with the daily routines, the less painful the big cleaning is when it comes, and the less often we have to undertake a major overhaul. We are responsible for our recovery, but that doesn't have to be an endless chore, a member shared. There was a time when I dreaded step work. It felt like punishment. Now I'm excited to work on my recovery because I know the steps are the road to freedom. <clears throat> Man, that's really good stuff. And uh, I was just thinking about like my own experience, like uh, a woman in the fellowship pulled me aside the other day. And um, she said, you know what, Brian? She said, when you first came in here, you were broken and you, you seemed like you were dead inside. And like now fast forward the tape, you know, almost two years later, how much I've changed. And like that, that really touched my spirit because like I've never had anyone say that to me, you know, in a positive way. And like a lot of times I don't see it, you know, but other people recognize it in me, you know, and like that's what keeps me going, man. And I know like the, the limits are endless you know, on how much we can grow in our recovery. And um, if I could add something like to that, to the, to the second paragraph, it would be, and to share the steps with others. Because anytime when I hear someone sharing about maybe their sponsor, you know, the pocket of recovery we have in Southwestern PA, there's like some, some groups that don't do step work, you know, it's like one, five and 12. But um, like, I heard a guy talking about the other day, he wants to do step work, but his sponsor, like keeps pushing it off. And I approached him, I said, hey man, you know, if you wanna work through the steps with me, you know, as long as your sponsor approves of it, you know, let's get busy, you know, because I wanna share, you know, what I've experienced through step work, the peace, the serenity, the acceptance, you know, share that with others, man. I wanna give it away to keep it. Um, and, and I don't like cleaning my house, I'll tell you that, you know, but <laughs> I'll try to keep up with it the best I can, man, you know, cause I'm by myself here, but, uh, 
you know, I, I don't like to have a big, a big thing to clean up. So I just try to keep it small. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, thanks for letting me share. Go ahead, Douglas. All right. Thanks, Lee. Um, look, I really, I, re I really identify with that last part. Now I'm excited to work on my recovery because I know the steps are the road to freedom. And that's what I tell the folk I work with. Like, look, okay, the fourth step might be uncomfortable, but it's the most loving thing you're going to do, you know, for yourself. Hey, we might not, not enjoy like a sixth step of looking at, hey, where am I broken? Where's my brokenness shown? But man, it's that setup, man. It's that setup to say, okay, look, I can transition from, from being a consumer to being a giver, you know? And, and so I, I identify with that. And I, I want to make a, um, uh, a comment on that first, the, the first uh, paragraph we read just real quick. When we talk about this, um, uh, we no longer use our disease or where we are in our recovery as an alibi for bad behavior. Oh man. Sometimes that's my go-to though. Sometimes like when my, when my people are pulling me up and saying, man, you know, that's it. That, you're, you're, you're a little off right now. Or as Brian says, uh, man, that's some bullshit, you know? So, so he'll hit me with that. And at first, man, my reply is like, man, well, we're, you know, we're addicts, man. It's okay. You know, we could just, but, but, you know, and here's the awakening of my spirit, man. I appreciate that. I have people in my life that don't let it fly like that. You know, and then the I've seen value. My value in their life is I'm not a guy that just lets that fly. We we love each other, but it's not like, hey man, continue to hurt yourself. You know, we don't do that stuff. And um and check this out, man. The, the, we find gratitude for the events that bring us to this moment. I mean, so many times, you know, going through something, thinking, you know, higher power, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then now to have a season to to look and say, okay, you know what? Things had to happen in my life to bring me here for me to be able to see this, experience this, feel this. This is part of the message that I can carry now. And, and it's all stuff, man, at the time where I was like, damn, this is painful. Why is this happening? And uh, and that's a beautiful line, man. I really, I really get down with that. So I'm gonna pass with that. Thank you, Douglas. Uh, okay, I'm not seeing anyone. Je oh, hey, go Jane. <laughs> Okay, I was waiting in case somebody else wanted to pop in. I just, uh, it was a game changer for me when I um, came awake enough to realize that the steps are not a painful project that you complete so you can go to the front of the class, that the, it's an ongoing recovery process and I'm practicing doing the set of steps until I get good at the working of the set of steps so that I can apply the steps in my life as the tools to live life and gain the peace of mind rather than some of the other tools in the toolbox that are no good, never have been any good and cause me trouble. So it was just a game changer for me to realize that those steps are not just something you do every once in a while to please your sponsor or look good. And when you're sharing, it's all about this step one is one of the tools I'm going to use to deal with life, life problems, life joys, step three, step five, whatever. And, um, and, the, and so I can look at those steps as something, wow, what a gift that I get an opportunity to uh, change out toolboxes and do things different. That's all. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Uh, go, Eva. Thank you. Um, so um, <clears throat> the addict that I am, you know, where it says caring for our spiritual condition is like cleaning the house. If we want the benefit, the work must be ongoing. And we are responsible for our recovery, things like that. You know, um, as I progress in my recovery, as I stay here longer, 
that does get easier, but I can remember like that feeling of um, there. Okay, let me back up. There's been times in my recovery since I've been here that I've had to do this big overhaul, you know, and um, it's been, you know, 10 years, 13 years, I had to do it again. And um, caring for our spiritual condition, caring for my spiritual condition, you know, is, it sounds so easy if I would just do what the book said, but being the person that I am and the character defects that I have, I stray a lot, like, you know, like, here's God, like, just in this straight line right here, and I'm this, like, yo-yo of a person, you know, like, skiing mountains, you know, I can't stay, I just, you know, as much as I work on it, I'm better at it now, but this is what I found, is that those valleys are where I get the most growth, and I learn the most, trudging back up that hill to spiritual condition is where I, um, where I find that when it's time for me to give back to another addict, where I have the most experience, strength, and hope, like, like this stuff was hard, and I fought against it, and, um, but I did it anyways, you know, the, if I could go the path of least resistance, wouldn't that be nice, but the addict that I am, I'm like, where's the, where's the hardest road, let me get, let me take that one, and, um, you know, as I, as I do it more, um, it gets easier. But I think the hard part for me, too, is my mental health gets in the way and wants to tell me that I'm better at certain times and that I don't need to do that. Uh, it, is my, it is my responsibility, and the work must be ongoing, even when I don't feel like it, even when I think I'm better, quote, unquote. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. Jennifer, would you start us off at it's not recovery that is painful and do two paragraphs to share with us, please? It's not recovery that is painful. Our resistance to it is what hurts. When we step away from our recovery and act against our beliefs, that hurts. Using is about distortion. We are drawn to things that distort our perception from drug use to resentment. Sanity is living in harmony with reality. When we are spiritually awake, we are willing to see clearly. We recognize the habits of mind, the habits of mind that lead us back to the same feelings over and over, regardless of what's happening around us. Until we stamp it with the name excitement or fear, the feeling can be identical. Making a choice in how we describe our experience gives us a choice in how we experience our lives. Allowing ourselves to be happy can be a surprisingly long process. It always continues <clears throat> in one way or another. Some of us fear contentment because it might lead to complacency. Others of us fear that if we are ever content, there will be nothing left to try for. Learning what truly makes us happy can be hard, especially if our relationship to seeking pleasure was tangled up with our most destructive behavior. Finding the balance is a challenge. When I got clean, I could feel the grief of every leaf falling from, a, from the tree a member shared. I feel like a novice at finding joy. I thought I would have, let, have to let go of pleasure to be clean. Um, allowing ourselves to be happy can be a surprisingly long process. Um, and that's been my experience probably 
in the last couple of years where, you know, my, my life was in a place where, you know, I was doing the work. I was meeting with my sponsor. I was going to my home group um, and I wasn't happy. And, you know, and I had to make some changes in my life. And, and even with doing the work, I still struggled with the idea that I deserve to be happy. It's this, you know, feeling that I'm inherently bad. It's something that I've had for a really long time. And that any decision that I make in my life that's going to affect somebody else badly somehow makes me a bad person and I'm not allowed to be happy. Um, and that's something I've worked at for a long time. And so recently these changes that I've made in my life have brought me to a place where I feel the most freedom and I'm the most happy I've been in a really long time. And, you know, I, I get this piece where I'm like, well, you have 28 years clean. You should be fucking, you know, ecstatic about life every fucking day. And, and that's just not reality. Right. But what my reality was is that the choices that I was making, um, were the choices that were right for everybody else and they weren't right for me. And now they're making choices for me. Um, and while others are not happy about my choices, I'm happy and I'm free. And in that process, I have found in recovery that my spiritual condition, which we talked about in the last couple of paragraphs, keeping up my spiritual condition has brought me to this place, right? So a year and a half ago, I started this practice of meditation and prayer and my keeping my spiritual connection with my higher power, not knowing that I would be in this place today. And what it did for me was allowed me to do something different and not sit in the same space, um, miserable, right? Like I know people say it all the time. I didn't get clean to be miserable. Um, and there are plenty of times that I've chosen to be miserable in recovery, but the truth is, is that's a choice. And that's not the choice that I make today. And, and because of Narcotics Anonymous and, you know, all the people that surround me and support me, I've been able to, to come to a place today where I am actively practicing um, and enjoying the freedom that recovery brought me. I just forgot about it for a minute. And, um, and so it's been a long process, but the good news is that I've arrived in that, you know, to that place of happy, um, which I can be grateful for today, but I know I had to go through all that misery to get here today. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Uh, Paul, then Finn. So I, I love the sentence too, Jennifer noted, allowing ourselves to be happy can be a surprisingly long process. It is a long process. And, and, and what I, you know, what I see is happiness changes over time. So, you know, thank God, um, because, you know, if I'm happy, like a 20 year old, something's gone desperately wrong at 60. Um, so, but here's the deal. The first word is the telling word in that sentence, allowing. It implies that happiness is a choice that is groundbreaking for me because I can choose to be happy. I can choose to be content in the previous paragraph. I can choose that. And that doesn't, it always feels like it's something coming at you, like happiness happens to you, but it's not. It's, it is something that I choose to see, that I choose to foster, that I choose, all of it. It's glass half full. It's all glass half full. And so, hmm, 
Here's the problem. My addiction is always glass half empty. Not enough. Give me more. I want more, 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 more. And so the only, it left to my own devices. That's why, you know, we were talking today. Somebody said, well, I've been clean. That's the low bar, right? That's the low bar. If I'm sticking around here for 20 something years just to be clean, I might as well put a bullet through my head. I want, I want the whole banquet. I want the whole buffet. I want it all. I want to feel happy. I want to feel good about myself. I want contentment. I want all of that stuff. And I got to, I got to choose to do the things that promote that in my life. And, and I'm in control of that. I am in control of that. Oh, wait, we're powerless over everything. No, we're not. I'm powerless over my addiction. That's what it says. But every time I pick up the pen to write in my step, in my step work, I have taken some control. I got to remember that. I'm not just mindlessly flowing down some river. I have the ability to, to, to make choices. So I got to remember that. It's not happening to me. It's happening by me. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Go ahead, Finn. Yeah, thank you. I, I also want to piggyback on that uh, making a choice and how we describe our experience gives us a choice in how we experience our lives. You know, um, I'm one of those people who, who need outside help. I, I, I seek help through a therapist and we're working on, you know, reframing uh, those, those words that go in my head. You know, every time something, an experience happens to me, I automatically go to the negative you know, and I start bringing up the, you know, the, what we talk about the lies that we tell ourselves on the inside. I'm not good enough. Uh, nobody loves me. I'm unlovable. I, I, I have hundreds of those, right. And, and making a choice to reword those, those thoughts is a big way in, in, um, you know, also deciding how I experience life. Um, and I'm experiencing that through through work when normally a very stressful situation, I, have, I work as a server in a restaurant and normally a very stressful situation where, you know, somebody in the, one of the guests is being rather disrespectful would, would drive me up the wall. I'm able to take a step back and like reframe those words um, and, and make the decision on how to, how to see that situation rather than just react based on how I, how my first thought is. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Finn. And I'm going to touch on this real quick um, because no one else jumped on it. <clears throat> and I did, I did agree with, with everything I've heard about allowing happiness in and uh, it's, it's truly from my inside out, not given to me. But this part where it says learning what truly makes us happy can be hard, especially if our relationship to seeking pleasure was tangled up with our most destructive behavior. Finding the balance is a challenge. And I don't know about you guys, but the last seven years of my addiction, uh, the destructive force of the drug was also intermingled with all the uh, sexual freaky shit with women. Uh, they were synonymous. And so when I got here and got off the drugs, I still thought it's got to be about pleasure. And, and that created problem and situation and problem and situation. 
just one after another and, and, and years of, of hitting walls. <clears throat> and, and Douglas talks about it sometimes. Um, it felt it felt like an endless loop. It felt like it was something that was. I thought I was going to change it. And, and, and that became a, a, a dog chasing its, its tail. And, and through the 12 step process, and through through total abstinence, it worked on drugs. Why wouldn't it work on these other areas of my life? <clears throat> I've had like three different periods in my recovery deliberately uh, asexual, not seeking, not wanting. Uh, and, and one period lasted for four years, which if you would have told me that when I got here, I would have just laughed. I'd have been like, you must be out of your mind, dude. You know, I got to have it. It's, it's who I am. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, eight weeks ago, oh, I got a message and someone said, hey, can I come to New Orleans all the time. Can you take me to a meeting? I was like, absolutely. And that meeting has is slowly starting to evolve into probably one of the healthiest relationships I've ever been in with the, with the woman. Um, didn't see it coming, wasn't looking for it, wasn't based in pleasure. Um, and so I'm saying all that to say there's a conversion in our 12-step process that happens to me in that continuum. And, and I've heard Paul talk about it and I've heard other people mention it. There is something that happens to us when we continue this process. So I, I just wanted to fly, fly my flag, Doug, since nobody else went there. Okay, brother? Solidarity. <laughs> um, hey, Barb, go ahead, please. Barb, an addict. And you made me start um, thinking, um, Lee, but I like to sanity is living in harmony with reality. When we are spiritually awake, we are willing to see clearly. And I like what Jen said about, you know, recovery isn't all um, hunky-dory. You know, it's, it's good. And, and like uh, Paul was talking about, the full smorgasbord, I want all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, that to me, that's being alive and that's recovery. And when you were talking, Lee, about, you know, that's, I just went through, um, I'm going to another fellowship because of my codependence with my son. And I had to let go of my control and my, um, because I use many things to medicate. I had to let go of him. And then what I get is I get to find me. I get to find something in me by doing that. But in the process, I have to get uncomfortable with the uncomfortableness. And I have to let go and just sit with it. That's what my sponsor says. Just sit with it, Barb. And when I just sit with it, you know, stuff is revealed and I get a life, you know, I get a life and, and I've let my son go and get his life. And, and it's, it's just amazing. Um, and it's kind of like what you were talking about this process, you know, but for me, it seems like it's always about letting stuff go, you know, and then um, stuff is being revealed or I find myself, you know, and it's like peeling the layers of the onion off, you know, and then I discover something else. So, um, I'm just grateful to have this way to live and, and that I can see, I do want truth today. I do want to see clearly, you know, even when it's painful, even when it's humbling, you know, I do want those things today. And that is recovery to me. 
You know, that's the, the whole, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the joy, you know, that's living. Cause when I got here, I was dead, you know? And today I know when I go through the shit, you know, I feel alive, you know, and today I have peace. It talked about, um, you know, that's the main thing I want today is that contentment and that peace, no matter what, you know, um, they say what my sponsor says something about when you meditate to be able to meditate in a room full of a thousand, you know, that that's, and that's what I want that peace and contentment, no matter what's going on around me, you know, I want to be able to be peaceful and to be okay. You know, so I'm grateful to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Barb. Go ahead, Eva. I'm going to piggyback on what you were talking about, Lee. Um, um, learning what truly makes us happy can be hard, especially if relationship, if our relationship to seeking pleasure can be tangled up with our most destructive behavior. And I think um, having had a history of abuse, um, that whole not just having abuse, but being the abuser sometimes even, you know, I just, um, when I got here, it was all tangled up with, um, first of all, I didn't believe that I deserved any pleasure, you know, I was just here to stop using drugs and to quit hurting people, I didn't deserve anything good in it, but, um, you know, through a few set of steps, even, it took me more than just a couple set of steps to get past that correlation between um, seeking behavior, uh, seeking seeking happiness and um, destructive behavior. Because I thought that, you know, sex was love and all that jazz that we learn when we do, you know, um, some of that, especially some of that early work in Narcotics Anonymous, at least that's where it was for me. Um, and Doug does talk about it. It's food, sex, and money. And all of those things, um, if I'm not using them in the right proportion, are really the most destructive things in my life. Um, you know, it's talking to people online that I shouldn't be it. Um, getting up after everybody goes to sleep to eat that last bit of ice cream or uh, shopping online and not telling my husband knowing he's going to be working out of town. So when the Amazon truck comes, he won't even see it. You know what I mean? Like I've done some sneaky stuff, right? Like all of those things, when I start getting into some of those destructive behaviors, you know, it's all um, tangled up with that seeking pleasure thing. Like, you know, he's working a lot. So I think I deserve it anyway. So, um, I know through working the steps though, that those things start to become, and it says it somewhere in this, it said it already that um, when we are, well, I don't know where it is now, but anyways, when we're right with our higher power, right? When we're right with our spirituality, those things seem easier to deal with. But when I'm not, when I think that I need or want what I want, when I want it, those things become hard again. And, and it didn't, you know, it didn't just go away from me. It's something that I've continued to have to work on my whole recovery for whatever reason. So that's it. Thanks, Eva. Hey, Paul, 
would you go ahead and start us at what we learned about love? And then, wow, that's the last two paragraphs. I'll finish out the chapter. Here we go. Uh, what we learn about love in the rooms prepares us for other kinds of relationships. We may find love, create families, or be restored to the families we had left behind. Some of us discover that we have talents for contributing to the world in other ways, whether through our creativity, our empathy, or our addict ability to focus on one thing and do it till it's done. The skills we learn in the rest of our lives in turn become tools we use to help carry the message. When we stay involved with NA, we can see that we have a valuable contrib contribution to make to the world. We may not see all these changes at first, but we feel it somehow and get a glimmer of hope that our lives are changing. Yeah, I, I do. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know where my life would have gone without Narcotics Anonymous. And um, I don't want to know anymore. You know, uh, you still go to those meetings? You still doing that NA thing? <laughs> And you know, the good news is the longer you stay clean, the less those questions come up because that, those kind of people usually tend to fall away a little bit. But, um, uh, and everybody knows that this, this is my thing. This is what I do. And I'm not embarrassed by it anymore. I'm not, you know, it's not like I have to, the good news is if you stay clean long enough, you don't have to justify all the time what you're doing. You just kind of do it quietly. And, you know, when you first get clean, you want everybody to, yeah, here, everybody come over here, let's do it together. And we'll, and we'll do it together. And then I'll feel like I'm right. Cause I don't, trust anything I do. So if I got all y'all doing it with me, then I feel like I'm okay, which is completely and utterly normal. The, the good news is after time, I, I don't care what anybody else is doing. You know, I used to worry about who was clean in a meeting. All I worry about now is if I'm clean, that's all I got to worry about is what am I doing? And, uh, and, and it's, it's not, it's an endless game to, to try to, to guess that. But what's important is, is that who I am today is totally based on the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous. Totally. And, uh, and I would not be in the position I'm in. And I would not be the person who is able to give back. And look, you know, somebody said a long time ago, you might be the only basic text a person reads. And that was, that's powerful. And, and that's the attraction we talk about. That's the attraction, not the promotion, is if, if someone looks at me in my life, is it a fair representation of Narcotics Anonymous? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes when I go off, it's not a fair representation, but hopefully in the moment or quickly thereafter, hey, I'm really sorry, is pure Narcotics Anonymous pure Narcotics Anonymous. So thanks. Thanks, Paul. And we have uh, some time left, so we can just go through the squares, guys. Who's next? <laughs> we can go so, to the next chapter, uh, Lee. Oh, okay. Thank you, Paul. I thought we were going to stick up, stick with those last two paragraphs to the end. Uh, Finn, why don't you start us off with desperation to passion, please? All right. Thank you. Desperation to passion. 
Once the process of cleaning up the wreckage begins, the ways that we need to grow may not be visible from the outside. We go from being totally impulsive to feeling like our decisions have to be permanent. Something has to drive us or draw us. We need a purpose or we start entertaining ourselves with obsession and compulsion. There is something about being stuck that feels hopeless and easily turns into complacency and indifference. It can feel wrong or embarrassing to be struggling to keep the light on in our own recovery when we think we are supposed to be carrying the message to others. The responsibility we feel to carry a message can serve as an excuse not to share the truth about our lives. But without the truth, we have no message at all. And when we are not open, it is hard for light to get in. Emitting is the beginning of change. Um, putting the life back in our recovery is really not that hard. We look for the passion and we nurture it. The hard part is finding the willingness to take action and pick up the phone or go to a meeting when we are feeling uninspired. There is magic and healing grace in meetings, but we cannot see it when our attitude blinds us. Coming back to meetings after we have been gone for a while can be awkward and difficult, or it can be like coming home. There is a sweetness to walking into a room we have not been in for some time, seeing so much unchanged. Still, meetings make more sense when we attend them regularly. When we drift in and out, they can seem dull and boring. Part of the magic comes from the continuity, seeing each other grow and change, watching the miracle unfold in one another's lives. Occasionally, someone shares brilliant words. More often, the brilliance is in what we see, not what we hear. Man, there's a lot in that. Um, I want to back it up to that first paragraph, um, you know, where it says, I'm going to try to find it. We need a person. We need a purpose. Oh, okay. Something has to drive us or draw us. We need a purpose or we start entertaining ourselves with obsession and compulsion. It's when I start getting into that, that complacent feeling. I mean, I, I haven't even completed my step work and I start to feel, you know, in a place where like, oh, I've got this. I don't wanna pick up drugs. But then when I start acting out and it all goes back to that food, sex and money that Doug always talks about, you know? And like, I find myself going on these dating apps, trying to go out with him, trying to pick up him. And, and you know, all that, all that stuff, that's behavior from when I was in my active addiction, except now I don't have the drugs to blame for it. Now it's just me, you know, like, I don't need to fulfill myself with sexual attention from other men. What I need to fulfill myself with is a spiritual connection with my higher power. And that's, what's important to me. Um, thankfully meeting attendance has never really been a problem for me. Um, especially with the virtual meetings and whatnot, I've been able to just dial into a meeting while I'm at work. Um, but what I can make a better, um, a better effort at doing is actually participating in those. Because if I'm just listening to a meeting and I'm not sharing, all I'm doing is just listening to a meeting. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes I need to get off what's on my chest. Sometimes I need to talk about something so somebody can reach out. Because if I don't show my camera 
and I'm not interacting with the other addicts, they don't know if I need help until I ask. We're just making that phone call, but I'm gonna pass with that, thank you. Eva, up, and then Doug. So what catches my eye is without truth, we have no message at all. And, um, you know, when I got here, I felt like maybe nobody really wanted to hear what was going on with me, or I didn't have, you know, eloquent, eloquent ways to say it, you know, like I'm not, we were talking earlier before the meet, before the, uh, the book study about uh, circuit speakers and I'm like definitely not a circuit speaker. I'm not like that person. But what I do know, what my sponsor has taught me from, from day one of working with her is that Narcotics Anonymous is the language of the heart and the heart only speaks the truth. You know, um, that is when power happens. That's when, that's when there's like that tangible feeling in a meeting when somebody's sharing from the heart you know and that's when it speaks to me the most so um I can remember though feeling so this is some of my favorite part of this book is desperation and compassion because desperation is you know where I started and where I've been several times in recovery and um so but without truth I have no message that's just what stuck out to me. Thanks, Eva. Douglas? Eva, I'm glad you touched on that. I was going to I was going to comment on that too, man. And that's one thing I tell the people that I work with right off the bat is, uh, you know, because like that pedestal piece or something like that, or if you, you know, w once we're clean for a minute, we can go to a meeting, kind of put a couple of sentences together and sound like we know half of fuck, you know, what we're talking about or whatever, you know, and then people getting in asking us to sponsor them or something like that is almost like, um, at least that, that's how I looked at the old timers. They could do you know, no wrong, right? And then when I started to realize, hey, no, they're human, man. Like they're doing this and they, you know, whatever. It was like a big, I was like, oh, damn. You know, so I try to tell my people when I'm working with them right up, right up front, like, hey, this is what's going on for me and we're with me. But the two things um, I wanted to say was the word can is really important. The responsibility we, we feel to carry a message can serve as an excuse. It just, it doesn't have to though. You know, we can counter that with making sure that we're transparent. At least that's what I do. Um, because I absolutely feel it's a responsibility for us. We've been clean for a while that it's a responsibility that we're carrying a clear message of hope. And at the same time, like that part of our message is sharing about what we're going through. And, and um, uh, John, I think you say again, clear and current, you know, that's a really good way of putting it, man. Like I need to be clear and I need to be current, you know, with my people. So, uh, and then the other thing I want to say is like more often the brilliance is in what we see, not what we hear. I had experience, man, the other day, I'm up here in Pennsylvania with my people and Brian and I and my old man, we, we were at breakfast the other day or lunch or whatever. And I saw this dude sitting over at the table. Folks, look, I'm telling you, man, 20, it was 21 years ago. He was one of the dudes that was kind of around. He didn't 12 step me, but he he was with the folk. And, uh, and I, and I was on like a hundred. You know, like I couldn't stop running my mouth. I couldn't do this, you know, and I came at this dude sideways a little bit. And I remember him telling me, he said, shut the fuck up. I spilled more beer on my tie than you drank. He legit say that. I know we hear that, you know, said a lot, but he legit hit me with that back then. And by the looks of it, like he, he probably did. Like he was really beat up, dude, you know, just busted up old dude. His name's Teddy. And he was sitting there, man. 
he was sitting in a restaurant. I went over there. We started talking and stuff. And, and uh, uh, he knew about how much time I was coming up on. I haven't seen him in forever. And uh, he's coming up on 23. I told him I just hit my 21 piece. And we talked for a couple minutes. And I'll be damned, man. You know what? Like, I didn't – there for a while after he told me that, I wanted to – I kind of was planning on, like, I'd always like to walk close to him and kind of give him a little shoulder bump and, you know, and shit like that when I was getting clean just because he, you know, he uh, he hit me with that. I have no animosity towards him now, man. Like, when I sat down, I just loved seeing him. I really did. It was, like, good. And I think that, you know, it's like the brilliances and what we see, not, not what we hear – and and that's that's true. Like a lot of times, like I'm thinking about meetings or thinking about just getting clean and stuff. Like the the, the things that people said, you know, kind of has stuck with me and stuff like this. But the transformation that I've seen in people, um, and especially now with the with the guys that I work with and stuff, it's like it's like damn, um, there there's a loving higher power at work in their life and at work in my life, you know. And and I see that by the way people behave and and act, which brings me um, to the realization that that. I think, Paul, what you were talking about, about being the basic text people can see and stuff, it really makes me look at myself and say, look, am I carrying myself? Like, am I being the best version of myself, you know, in, in, in these circumstances? And, and uh, I could, you know, I could probably do a better job with that. You know, so um, I wanted to get in there. I'll, I'll pass with that. Thanks, Doug. Barb, did you have your hand up? And then Paul? at it just real quick i agree with we have no message at all you know the sister fellowship says that um my past is my greatest asset and for a long time i thought how in the fuck can my past be my greatest asset but today a lot of times when i tell my story i'm not unique and i get a new sponsee you know and and that is a miracle you know and that how awesome is that that my life you know my past can help another woman you know that they can relate to it. And I like this when we are not open, it's hard for the light to get in. Admitting is the beginning of change. You know, it's kind of like that, um, name it, um, claim it, tame it, you know. Um, I have to, you know, I, I have learned in the program that the truth does set me free. You know, so I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be clean. Thanks, Paul. Paul? Yeah, I was uh, putting the light back in our recovery is really not that hard. We look for the passion and we nurture it. And um, for me, a lot of that, you know, we were talking about old farts before we started this uh, recording and, uh, and Lee took it personally. Uh, there are a lot of old farts on this uh, screen right now. So, I, you know, uh, here, not you, Eva. I, absolutely not you, Eva. But anyway, here's the deal. The passion, no, you too, Jay, not you, not Barbara, not Jennifer. Uh, Douglas is uh, an old fart, and, uh, and I'm an old fart. How about that? <laughs> Douglas would be an old fart if he'd gotten clean later, but since he's young, he's, he's kind of an old fart. <laughs> but here's the thing. Look yeah. for the passion, and it sounds like you have to look within. Yes. But I don't think so. <laughs> the most important person in the meeting is the newcomer. That's where the passion is. That's when that's like that's like that's like being at Christmas with little kids. Yeah. It's much more exciting with a whole bunch of little kids discovering Santa Claus's gifts. That makes Christmas completely different than a bunch of old farts. <laughs> 
sitting around discussing the discussing things. I want to see somebody who's the lights coming on. I want to see somebody who's is hearing this bullshit coming out of this mouth for the first time <laughs> and goes, oh my God, I never thought if I don't pick up, I don't get loaded. That's brilliant. I've never heard that before. Oh my God. That's what I need. That's what feeds me. That's the passion that I need. So when it talks about desperation to passion, that's where I get it. I get it from the desperation that somebody coming in the rooms for the first time has. And I don't want to discount any of them. I went to a, I went to a, a speaker meeting in, uh, in Atlanta one time and the lady up on the podium says, y'all want to make fun, fun of the pink cloud. The pink cloud is the thing. And the only thing we need to do is us old farts need to stand around and make sure everybody's on their pink cloud. Because pink cloud means no artifice, no com a complete and utter surrender, no nothing, no uh, jadedness, no I know everything. The pink cloud is complete abandonment to this process and this way of life. And I need that because I'll start to stay, take shit back. Yeah, I'll go to the meeting if so-and-so's there. Uh, what time is it? No, I don't, it's too late. Oh no, Real Housewives is on. I can't go to the meeting tonight. No, no, I got, I got much more important things to do. All that bullshit that we start to take back that surrender little by little. So I need, look, I need those people. I need them. Thanks. Jennifer. And everybody has just said something tonight that I want to talk about, but there was, there was two things that I, I got from this. And one of it was about being stuck and feeling hopeless and like almost, well, probably hundred percent of the time that I'm stuck, I'm stuck because of me, because of my choices and where I'm at. And so like the complacency and indifference that comes is like from my actions, but I don't want to see it. Um, and luckily, for me, I have a really good sponsor who knows me and a really good group of people. It's like, nah, 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 okay, dummy. Like, this is all you, it's not anybody else's fault. And, um, and so when I'm sharing about what's going on with me and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to carry a message that I think is supposed to be fluffy and cute and pretty, um, you know, I remember like, a lot of times the message for me is, you know, my reality is not always wonderful, right? And so when I share that and I have a solution, um, it reminds me and you know, hopefully others that like, you know, we can get through anything. Um, but in, in my current, you know, in my, in my current life right today, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I sponsored this woman for a long time and she decided she wanted to be sponsored by somewhere else, someone else. And that was fine, you know, that happens all the time. But you know, this, this current, um, season of my life has been a little overwhelming and, and traumatic. And, you know, I um, have a lot of mess. It feels like there's a lot of mess going on. And um, she calls me and leaves me a message that she wants me to sponsor her again. And so I called her and left a message and said, Hey, like, this is what's going on with my life. You know, I feel like a train wreck right now. Um, I have all these changes going on. And she was like, what book are we going to do? And I was like, and, and what I realized in that process was, is that, you know, not only does somebody need to work the steps with me, but like 
you know, the higher power is saying, hey, you know what, instead of getting obsessed with yourself and your current situation and all this madness you have going on, let's serve others and work with them. And she's like on fire, right? And so she's like already done her first step in this book and like, when are we going to meet? And I'm like, okay, I hear you. I get it. You know what I mean? I see it. And and and, and what that looks like today for me is that the, the gratitude that I feel and that I participate in by working with these women is, is that no matter what's going on in my life, you know, um, they trust in the process of recovery, which is what I'm practicing. And so it's just comes back to this whole thing of like, I'm not really stuck, you know, I'm not embarrassed and, um, and it's going to be okay, no matter what. And, and as long as I kind of keep that up and I work with these women and I go to my, you know, I keep my spiritual condition up, like I'm going to be okay. And, um, and it's so funny how quickly I can forget that. Um, but yeah. Um, so yay to a new sponsee for me and uh, I'll pass with that. <clears throat> Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. <laughs> so we're going to take it to the top of the hour and I want to thank everyone for your for your lovely commentary and your control issues. And uh, Doug, I'm going to kick it back to you. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.